But um, today I want to talk sort of to you um, sort of in a thoughtful way so that we can sort of incorporate the things that we've been learning in the scripture and apply it appropriately. Uh, if this is your first time joining us, what we're doing is we're going through a series in Joshua, the book of Joshua, called the Joshua Generation. And it's a book in the Old Testament, but many of you are familiar with some of the stories that we'll cover at a later time, like the walls of Jericho coming down. How many people remember that? Okay. There's application there, or, you know, the crossing of the Jordan. How many people remember that? Okay. We'll touch on that today. Uh, but one of the things that I found interesting is that um, as we go through this series, uh, as opposed to some of the other books of the Bible where you can sort of relegate it to having an individualistic application. And what I mean by an individualistic application is, is that you make it all about you, right? Or I make it all about me. When I read the Bible, I'm looking at how it applies to me. When you look at the book of Joshua, it's kind of hard to do that, right? It's kind of hard to do that because it's talking about going into a place. It's talking about um, God telling us to go into a place with a people. And he's saying that we're going into that place with a people for a purpose. And so whenever we've been talking through the book of the Joshua the past several weeks, we've been talking through those themes, right? Basically, God's sending us to a place with a people and for a purpose. Today, though, I want to um, sort of pick up in the book of Joshua, in Joshua chapter 3, whenever they were getting ready to cross the Jordan River and really try to understand how to, as Christians, have an application of that beyond it just being a story to us today. And to do so, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about it in three terms. We're going to talk about it, if you're taking notes, in terms of the trials that we face as we approach the gospel of God and society that we live in, the trials that we face that are systemic challenges, systemic challenges, not just personal challenges that we face, but systemic challenges. Number two, the temptation that we have to revert to a naturalist modus operandi, which means the mode of operation, sort of to go into a naturalist approach to the world and the systemic challenges that we face in the world around us. And then finally, really coming back to the fact that the testimony of Christ is the only lasting solution to these systemic issues. The testimony of Christ being the only lasting solution to these systemic issues, okay? So obviously we can talk about it on a personal level, but it goes beyond just the personal level that we're experiencing today. And if we're to be a people, the people of God in the city in which we live and in the nations in which we live, we need to have a perspective that approaches things this way. So just as a reminder, we're talking about the trials, the temptation, and the testimony, okay? The trials, the temptation, and the testimony. Let's start with uh, Joshua chapter 3 today. It says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. 
yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Consecrate yourselves, for the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand without <clears throat> still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. They are in the inhabitants in the land. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore, twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man, and when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand still in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from the above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is set beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on the dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all the Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan. So here you have this picture of God taking the Israelites out of Egypt and their slavery in Egypt and bringing them to the promised life, the promised land in modern day Canaan. And what you see is that just as they had to pass through the Red Sea to get to this place of promise, so they come once again to a place where it demanded a miracle. It demanded a miracle where he said, if you're going to come into the promised life and the, take the cities that I have for you, it's again going to take my presence and my intervention. It's not going to be something that you can do in your own strength. It's not going to be something that you could do by your own ingenuity. It's going to take me being with you, right? It's going to take me being with you to accomplish the goals that I set out before you. And I think that whenever we find ourselves in a city like Chicago, what we've got to understand is that many of the trials that we face are really systemic challenges, a lot of the things that we experience on a daily basis, people try to reduce just to personal challenges. And yes, there are personal challenges where <clears throat> we're trying to overcome things like loneliness or depression or sin habits, right? As we're living here 
trying to push against the isolation in this city. But it's even more than that, right? It's even more than that. On a city level, if you ever came to, if you've come to Chicago from an outside place, and many of the people here who live in the city, though there are native Chicagoans, many, we're a transient city, which means that people come from all over the place. And for many people, depending on where you're coming from, even if you ride something like the red line, right? If you start to ride the train in Chicago, you can notice that there's a difference, right? When you go north to south, there's something that's palpable in the atmosphere, right? There's a division in the atmosphere. If you ride the blue line east to west, you see that there's something palpable in the atmosphere that's systemic in the culture in which we find ourselves. And the trials that we face, um, many times we we deal with them and we're trying to push against them and we're trying to live as Christians and we're trying to deal with the things on a a personal level, but we don't realize that the way that we're trying to deal with them are not the ways that God tries to deal with them or commands us to deal with them, but what we're doing is we're tempted to revert to dealing with the issues of our society in a naturalist manner. And what I mean by a naturalist manner is on both, uh, well, on threefold, on a personal level, on a church level, and on a societal level, we try to have natural solutions for things that take a supernatural intervention to solve. We deal with things as if our ingenuity, our intelligence, or our strength can overcome the societal issues that many times frustrate us or many times give us angst as we're dealing with coworkers or neighbors or friends in the communities in which we live. And though we see trials that are on a personal level and on a body of Christ level and on a societal level, what God's reminding us here through this scripture is that we've got to come to a place where we don't revert just to a natural modus operandi, meaning that we don't just result or relegate ourselves just to natural means of solving issues to be able to change things, but instead we've got to keep God in the mix and at the head of all of our solutions if things are going to permanently change. If things are going to personally change, personally, in the church, and on a societal level. Now, whenever you look at uh, some of the things that we have as, um, that we're dealing with, oftentimes it deals with us personally when we look at like, the things that the Israelites were dealing with, Right? They were called to go into the land of Canaan. They were called to go into this land of promise, but there was going to be great warfare. There was going to be great um, battle that they needed to experience depending on God to take the land. And there was a temptation that if they were just dealing with things naturally, they could have reverted into dealing, uh, addressing the issue of even crossing the Jordan by dealing with things according to the plans that they could make on their own rather than God's plans. And I think we've all been there before where there's been a tension between, I know God's called me to do something, I know God's called me to be something, but then there are plans that I want to make to accomplish them, and then there are God's plans that somehow I want to have in the mix to accomplish it. Anybody ever dealt with that tension before? 
I see issues that need to be dealt with. I see things that, whether it be in my life or the church or society that I want to deal with, but I have ideas about how it needs to be accomplished, and God has ideas of how it needs to be accomplished. But what we see is that the temptation for the Israelites, and if they were just to deal with things naturally, is that they would have looked at the Jordan River that they had to cross. And when they got there, it was at flood stage which meant that the water was overflowing the banks, which means that if they just tried to walk over by themselves in their own effort or ability, they would have drowned, right? And they needed God to step in and part those waters, just like he did the Red Sea, for them to be able to cross over into that which God had for them. And many times I think that whenever we're approaching issues, whether it be personally or in the church or societally, our temptation is, is to deal with the destination that God has for us, but make it sort of um, by our own machination that we get there. The problem is, is that what that leads us to in our own machinations is many times disobedience to get to the things that we think are actual obedience in God. Okay? What I mean by that is this. What I mean by that is this. Have you ever been in a situation before where you knew that God was calling you to be involved, for instance, in a great uh, career, career that he called you to, right? I'm called to do something in law or I'm called to do something in politics. I'm called to do something in medicine. But to get there, I've got to cross this big divide, this Jordan River that will drown me. It's drowning me in the demands it has on my time or the demands it has on my energy, the demands it has on my focus. And so I've got to figure out a way to fulfill the call of God, but I don't feel like I could do everything. So what you begin to do is instead of staying in the pocket and walking according to God's ways while you're trying to get there, you begin to do things like make your own way of doing it. It's like... If I am going to get to the goal that I feel like God has for me, I'll be MIA from church for a while, practically. Or if I'm starting to get married, I'll, you know, it's like, you know, it's like got to get, build this relationship that I have. And so I don't really have time for my brothers and sisters in Christ who used to encourage me in the things of God. And I used to encourage them because now I've got this goal that I'm trying to meet of actually having a successful relationship in God, right? And so the very things that God gives in his commands to do, we begin to forsake to accomplish the things that we think are God. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? We begin to have our own plans to accomplish God's plans, which in fact leads to disobedience. It's subtle, but it's true. We try to put together our own natural means of addressing the issues that we see surrounding us rather than trusting God in his ways. And truth be told, if you think that you need to have a season of disobedience to accomplish your goals, then you are not truly pursuing God's goals for your life. What that means is God will always lead you in a manner where his commands, his provision, and his timing line up. If you have to break the first, meaning his commands, to accomplish the second two, which means getting a hold of his provision or his timing, then it's actually not the Lord. 
Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Whenever God told the Israelites to cross the Jordan, he had what? His commandment to them, where to go. He had provision for them, how he was going to open the Jordan. And then he also had a timing. He said, three days you're going to be in this camp, and then I'm going to have you cross over. Because how many people know that at some point the Jordan River closed again? <laughs> The Jordan River closed again, and if they had chosen, well, I, I, I've got five days to wait <laughs> before I cross this uh, river, then eventually they wouldn't have been able to cross it because there was a timing aspect to it as well. And whenever we're trying to deal with things in our own machinations, it actually can lead to disobedience when God says all of the stars actually can align in God to accomplish that which he's called you to do. And when we're tempted, we're tempted to put things together in our own effort or our own ability and can often miss God. But God often provides stones of remembrance so that we can remember how he's done things in the past so that we can also remember how he wants to do things in the future. People wonder even on a societal level how to deal with the systemic issues and society, even things that are deal, like we're dealing with on our national landscape, right? Has anybody been feeling the tension rising? Anybody at all? Feeling the tension rising. And the truth of the matter is, is that there is a man named George Centenyana who actually said, those who cannot remember the past are what? Condemned to repeat it. They're condemned to repeat it. And we are sensitive to things like issues that we talked through several weeks ago when um, our Polish pastor came about, things like the Holocaust and how things are affecting societally or even break up of families and the situations that as a nation we're experiencing. And Frank said, terrible things are happening outside. Poor, helpless people are being dragged out of their homes. Families are torn apart. Men, women, or children are separated. And children come home from school to find that their parents have disappeared. In a systemic way, it's, we're, we're dealing with these issues today, right? And if you are trying to figure out how to be Christian, you can't ignore how to respond to issues such as these today. Hello? You cannot just be in a spiritual bubble and forget about what's going on in the world around you. You have got to be able to address it, not just in natural means, but understand that there's a testimony in Christ that provides the only supernatural recourse for crossing the divide to get us where we need to be. We have echo chambers of opinion and how we're going to deal with social issues, but the temptation is when we live as naturalists only. Naturalists only. What I mean by naturalists only is that we're depending on the next rally. We're depending on the next wave of social media posts. We're depending on the next argument at the dinner table to actually deal with the issues that are going on in people's hearts and minds, then ultimately we'll be consumed by the waters of the Jordan. We'll be drowned. But if we depend on the testimony of Christ, then supernaturally something's happening on an individual level, in a on a church level, and on a society level, societal level that can lead to permanent change. 
And whenever the Israelites were able to go through the waters of the Jordan, you see that Joshua commanded the people, you know this because just as we pass through the Red Sea, you're going to pass through the Jordan, and I'm going to tell you to take up stones and put them on the other side of the Jordan when you pass through, so that when the people who come after you ask, what do these mean to you, you're able to say, it's through Christ that this was able to happen. Even dealing with things on a societal level like the civil rights movement many years ago before many of our time, right? You see that it was the church depending on the testimony of Christ. The leaders depending on the testimony of Christ that actually addressed the societal issues as a whole. It wasn't just having marches. It wasn't just having programs. It wasn't just having discussions. But it was the testimony of Christ. And the testimony of Christ is that which we need. It's the miracle power of Jesus Christ and his gospel that we need to address the systemic issues of our day. The testimony of Christ reminds us of what he's done before, and it reminds us that if you follow Christ long enough, you will come to a point in your life where you need miracle power again. Just because he did something previously in your life, setting you free from one aspect of sin, doesn't mean in the sanctifying process that he's not going to bring you to a point where he says, I want you to step up even further. And you're going to need his miracle hand working in your life to deal with an attitude, to deal with a type of relationship, to deal with a purity issue, to deal with something where you say, God, unless you open up these waters in my heart, I can't pass through. I'm bound. I need your miracle power again. Or in the church, right? Where MLK used to say that, not in this church, thank God, but he used to say that one of the most segregated places in America is church on Sunday. A Sunday in the church, though the church is supposed to be the body of Christ where all nations, people, languages, and tribes are coming together to worship the one king under one head, under one throne, right? Or on a systemic societal issue. He's saying you're going to go through the motions over and over again until you see the supernatural power of God reform people's hearts and minds after that so that they can have permanent change in what comes out of them. It's the testimony of Christ. Let's, let's look at why this is so. Whenever you look at what Joshua commanded the people to do, he said, when you're going through the Jordan, the priests are going to go before you. If this miracle is going to occur, the priests are going to go before you. And what they're going to carry with them to see the Jordan split is something called the Ark of the Covenant. Now, if you're not familiar with Bible terms, many of you are at least familiar with Indiana Jones and what he was in fact looking for, right, is the lost Ark of the Covenant. And what the Ark represented was basically a relic in Israel that both mediated and symbolized the presence of God amongst the Israelites. 
where God was willing to send the Israelites because of his anger with them into the promised land. And he said, I'll give you the land, but I'm not going with you because you constantly take your life in your own hands. You're constantly disobeying. You're constantly finding other ways to solve your problems without me. So go without me. Go without me and see how that goes. And Moses was wise enough to say, God, listen, I know the issues that I'm about to experience in faith, and unless you go with us, please don't try even send us up from this place to try to deal with these nations. Don't send us up from this place to try to deal with these systemic issues unless, God, your presence is with us. Joshua adopted that in his mentality. And so when he received the command to go across the Jordan, he said, listen, the first people in the water need to be those with the ark. And in the ark, which represented the presence of God, were three things, according to Hebrews. Number one, the two stone tablets. And if you're familiar with the stone tablets, they were basically the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments that Moses got up on that mountain, right? And so what you see is that the commandments of God were the first thing in that water. He said, if you want to deal with these issues, the first thing that you need to have is the word that gives you eternal wisdom, not momentary or temporary wisdom to deal with the systemic issues of an individual's heart a church's life, or societal issues that are systemic, but you need the Word of God, God the Creator, to speak to those things. Secondly, you needed, what, what else was in the ark? The ark was filled with jars of manna, a jar of manna. And if you remember anything about the Israelites' progress through the wilderness, manna was what the Israelites were fed with, supernaturally from heaven, right? The thing that sustained them. This is thing that sustained them those 40 years in the desert was God's supernatural provision. And when you're coming against systemic issues in society, you need something in your soul that's not going to have you aggravated, agitated, or at odds with the world you're trying to help. You need some supernatural manna to come and sustain you, to feed you, to strengthen you to continue on in the purposes of God in the midst of the um, issues that you're dealing with. And number three was Aaron's staff that had budded. Aaron's staff that had budded, which represented his authority, God's delegated authority. You've got to have some sort of source that you can go to to bounce off your thoughts, your reactions, and your ideas to see whether they're in fact biblical or not. Hello? Anybody ever get caught up in your own plans of how you're going to deal with the ills or people's attitudes or the issues in society? And you say, well, this is just how somebody needs to tell them. <laughs> well, how many people you know, you know you need a godly sounding board to probably say, cool your jets, slow your roll, <laughs> Right? Be godly, remember you represent Christ and not just yourself. And when that ark went forward, then the waters were able to separate. When they dipped their feet into the water, it was able to separate. Now on a personal level, what does that mean? If I'm dealing with issues that I haven't been able to overcome, the prescription to getting through that Jordan River, needing that miracle and getting to a place where I'm able to cross over and break those sin habits in my life. 
the first thing that Joshua said is, listen, consecrate yourself. If you want to get through the river, if you want to actually get to the place where God's calling you to be and go, go, you need to consecrate yourself. What does that mean? The word consecrate literally means to set yourself apart. To set yourself apart. Where you say, I'm not just going to be reactionary, but I am going to set my heart and my life apart for the person and purposes of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The cross being my ultimate goal. The cross being my ultimate aim. And I'm going to consecrate myself on a personal level so that as I do, God can be shown through me. And he says, if you would consecrate yourself, if you would humble yourself, if you would say, God, I need you and I can't do it on my own. This is the good news of the grace of God. He says, humble yourself and what? Grace is yours. God gives grace to the humble, but to the proud, he what? He resists them, their own machinations, right? I can do this on my own. I can figure out how to get over this sin habit on my own. Well, God's saying, don't go that way. Humble yourself and I'll give you grace. Humble yourself and I'll give you grace. On a church level, he said, listen, it's not just about you doing it on your own. And is anybody glad that God doesn't expect you to obey or fulfill his purposes on your own? Thank God, right? Thank God that we're doing it together. And in the midst of things, he said, listen, as the ark goes forward, all of the Israelites, meaning the people of God, are to cross over on the dry land together. Together. Meaning at the same time. Meaning if you're fighting, guess who else is fighting? Me. If you're in a battle, guess who else is in a battle? Me. If you are overcoming, guess who else is overcoming? Come back for me. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. Okay, but the point is, is that we're all in it to get, win it together, right? He says, cross over on the dry land together. Don't try to deal with systemic issues in your life or societally on your own. And then on a societal level, he says this. Do not try to deal with the societal issues that are a product of the sinful, fallen state of humanity by natural means. You hear me? He says our battle is not against flesh and blood, which is what we make it many times, right? But it's against rulers and authorities, principalities and powers, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. But we try to deal with things naturally the tensions and the societal issues naturally as if our natural force of personality or articulation or strength is going to make somebody's heart different. But the only thing that will make an individual's heart different, which bleeds out into making communities different, and then communities deal with actually making society different, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Seeing a heart change and the testimony of God is the main thing. And this is why he said the priests were to remain in the middle of the Jordan where the miracle needed to take place until the people crossed over. Now, 
What he's not talking about here in the New Testament is just the leaders of a church. He's talking about us as the people of God being a kingdom of priests. And now being carriers of his presence, we're to be in the middle of the place that needs a miracle. Is this not what Jesus said? You are the salt of the earth. The salt is that which is flavoring the meat. Why? Because it's touching it. You are the light of the world. It's penetrating that which is dark. A city on a hill, he said, cannot be hidden. And he said, you must stay in the middle with the ark. Not by yourself, but with the ark. With the presence of God. With the gospel of God, front and center. In the middle of that Jordan until everyone's able to cross over. That is the charge to the church. People ask the question, well, what, what really can we do? What really can we do? Because if it's a systemic issue, what really can little old me do? Anybody ever felt paralyzed? I see these issues, but what can I do? You know what Mother Teresa used to say? If you can't feed a thousand, then feed just one. And it matters. Guess to who? That one. That got to eat that day. And that one will have a testimony of Christ to communicate that spread. One thing that we could do, though, practically, besides just praying and serving, right? Many of you are involved in different community organizations around the city. Good job. Keep it up. Keep up the good work, right? But also, what can we do on an everyday basis? Well, Proverbs 21.22 says that a wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the strongholds in which they trust. So they're trying to respond with natural wisdom or intuition of, you know, how to deal with issues of racism or immigration issues or how to deal with, you know, sexism or how to deal with all types of trafficking, as we mentioned earlier. But what we're saying is, is that we're pulling down the strongholds in which people trust by changing the conversation to one that's gospel-centered with each opportunity. Gospel-centered with each opportunity. Why do we say that? Because Paul, whenever he was talking in Colossians, he exhorted the church this way. He said, Colossians chapter 4, 2 through 6, he said, continue steadfastly in prayer. What does that mean? He says, don't detach yourself from God when you're trying to deal with systemic issues and cross over. Have him in the middle until it's done. He said, remain steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us. But pray for what? And let me tell you, if you think the U.S. is bad right now, let me, if you feel like we got issues, guess what? The Roman Empire was worse. Hello? And it came crumbling down. If you know anything about history, hello? It was worse. It came crumbling down. And Paul was saying, here's the solution. Because kingdoms rise and they fall, but the kingdom of God remains forever. 
It's an enduring kingdom. And when you attach yourself to a horse, you better make sure it's the winning horse. And Jesus is saying, heaven and earth are going to pass away. My word will never pass away. And so when you're trying to deal with these issues, as you're remaining steadfastly in prayer, hitch yourself to my horse. And he says to do so, pray for us, that God may open to us a door for the word. For the word. For the word. So that the word of God can go forward. The testimony of Christ can go forward. To declare the mystery of Christ. That no external solution can change systemic issues. But Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. It's got to be an inside-out change that changes the societies in which we find ourselves. And you find yourself beating against a wall because you're trying to deal with it externally rather than internally. But when we proclaim the mystery of Christ, people change internally and what comes out of them to construct the external changes as well. He says, I'm a prisoner for this and pray that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. And here's how you do it. Let your speech, let your speech, guys, how you talk about things, how you respond to people, how you talk about the systemic issues that people are dealing with personally in the church or in society. Let your speech Always be gracious. <laughs> How many people agree that that's hard? <laughs> Always be gracious. And you know what gracious means? It's grace. It's what the gospel entails. It's giving people what they don't deserve. Can you think of what people do, what your ideas are of what people do deserve? People that you're at, enmity with, right? You want them to what? You won't say it, but in your heart of hearts, you treat them as if you want to say, go to hell, right? Isn't that not true? Is that not true? But he says, let your speech be gracious, giving them what they don't deserve, seasoned with salt so that you might know how you ought to answer each person. Why? Because the issues that you're dealing with are systemic. <laughs> are systemic. You're treating people as if they're your enemy, but it's a systemic issue, starting first in the sinful state of humanity. And that's systemic throughout all humanity. And then the sinful state of humanity plays itself out in the societies in which they make up. And so the only solution to that is to get to the root. But the root is a separation from their good creator. Not just them having a different environment. And so he says, the testimony of Christ is what needs to be on our lips. It is only the redeeming work of Jesus Christ at the cross that can save a soul, change a heart, and redeem a nation. 
He is the stone of testimony and the living ark, the very embodiment of God's presence that creates the miraculous dry ground for us to walk across. That is who Jesus is. That is who Jesus is. And so, Revelation gives us where we need to stand as the people of God in the testimony of Christ until we're able to pass through. Revelation 12, many of you are familiar with. He says in verse 10 through 11, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him, meaning the devil, our true enemy, our true enemy, not the person you're trying to love and reach with the gospel of Christ, but the devil. He is your true enemy. And the accuser of our brethren who accuses us before God day and night has been thrown down. And not only does he, let me just make this caveat, he doesn't just accuse you before God, he accuses us to one another, does he not? And if we're believing accusation, there's no way we're going to be gracious in our treatment of those that we're to walk with or that we're to reach. But they conquered him, meaning the devil, by the blood of the lamb, the cross of Jesus Christ, the blood of the lamb, and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. And the testimony of Jesus, the revelation goes on to say as John was speaking, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And prophecy is declaring those things that are not as though they were, things that have not yet happened that are soon to come because God planned them and he purposed them. He says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And it's the spirit of prophecy for things to change in cities, nations that we live in by the power of the gospel and even in your own life. It's the testimony of Jesus that goes forth that changes things. And in Revelation 19.10, he says, then I fell down at his feet, meaning the person he was interacting with, but he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. What's the answer to all that of the ills? He says, worship God. He says, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. If you want things to change systemically, whether it be individually, in the church, or in the society in which we found ourselves, we need the testimony of Jesus. We need the testimony of Jesus that will be inserted into people's hearts, change them, and from the inside out, change the societies in which we live. That's how we'll get through the Jordan, see the miracle, and it will prepare us to actually take the cities which God's called us to take in his mighty name. Amen?